This is the Seafair Investor Podcast, bringing you the tides of investing and personal finance from to millennial seafarers and alike. I'm your host, Soshin, a full-time seafarer, value investor, and a personal finance enthusiast. Welcome to episode 18. Today's episode will be a podcast interview with Eric Schlein of Granite State Capital Management. From now on, I will be posting more and more of this type of content where I have conversations with people that are relatively smarter and have more experience than me in investing. I'm always kind of excited (laughs) talking with these people as I really learn a lot. And it's a win-win situation also as you, my listeners, are also learning along with me. Anyway, Eric Schlein is the founder and CEO of Granite State Capital Management, which is an investment management firm based in the U.S., He is also a host of two podcasts, namely the Intelligent Investing Podcast and the Eric Schlein Podcast. Eric has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Guru Focus, and also in a biography of Warren Buffett, titled Of Permanent Value. Speaking of Warren Buffett, he also shares his experience of writing a letter to him before, and where Buffett also replied with the letter and an invitation to the next Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting. I asked Eric to be in the podcast as he really talks well on how to do investing in general, as I listened to him talk in other podcasts he was a guest in. The conversation I had with him was such a treat as I learned how he thinks through his own investing process, especially with Google and other microcaps. Anyway, before I spoil more of what's ahead, let's go to my conversation with Eric Schlein. Eric Schlein, welcome to the Seafair Investor Podcast. Um, I really appreciate you being in my show and I still apologize for that reschedule last time. But now that I have you in the show, I'm really honored and appreciate it. No, no worries. Thanks for having me on. So to, to start things off, as a way of to introduce yourself to the listeners, can you share your story on how you started investing? I mean, when was the moment that you knew investing is for you? Uh, good question. Um, well, I would have to go back a long time ago when I was maybe about 14 years old. And oh, wow. I was at a bookstore with my mom. Uh, that was one of the things my parents did really, really right was, um, did a lot of things really right. Like my parents are great. <laughs> um, but they, if I wanted a book, they would buy me a book. That was like one thing they would buy for me if i wanted it so i'd go to the bookstore you know this is before amazon and online books so i go to the bookstore quite a bit um and usually i would you know get a kid's book or a teen's book but i decided i would go be a big boy and be mature and go to the business (laughs) section and 14 year old uh, 
Yeah. So there was a, I looked through a bunch of the books and there was one book in particular that caught my eye and it was a book by the Motley Fool. And it was called something like a teen's guide to making more money than your parents ever dreamed of or something like that. And that was very appealing to me as a teenager. So I picked up the book and I started reading it in the bookstore and, you know, they talked about, you know, different uh, basic financial concepts of, you know, don't go into lots of credit card debt and, you know, um, don't, don't spend more than you earn. And then there was a compound interest graph. And, you know, it showed if you have $10,000 and compound that at 10% over 50, 60 years, what that would be. And I was pretty blown away. And and I said, I thought to myself, I have to learn how to do this. Um, so I started to read about books or I started reading about investors that were mentioned um, in the book. And when I got to Warren Buffett, so that was like the third person I read about, that was like the light bulb for me. And uh, I was pretty clear that this was something I was really, really interested in. So that's how I sparked my interest in investing. Yeah. So, and it also led you to this interesting story that I know I've heard in your several other podcasts that you've been in that it led you to write a letter to Warren uh, Buffett. So how can yes. you share the story of how, how did it go? And, how did it uh, went uh, after? So, yeah. So I had a neighbor. This is really random. I had a neighbor who lived across the street, and he was telling me that a friend of his had played Texas Hold'em poker with Buffett recently. And you know he's known for playing bridge, so didn't know he played yes. poker. So I uh, told him I was thinking about going to the. I wrote. Him, I decided to write him a letter, and it was basically something like. Hey, I'm thinking about going to the annual meeting for my first time. I'm in high school, blah, 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 blah. Oh, by the way, a neighbor of mine told me uh, he has a friend who played uh, Texas Hold'em poker with you recently, wondering how your how your how your poker skills are. So it was like something like that. <laughs> and he responded. Actually, I'll, I can bring the letter out one second if you give me give me oh, a second. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Wow. It's it's framed. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. I, mean, I know this I, is I, not going to be published on video, <laughs> but this is this is the letter. So uh, the letter is from January 9th, 2006. And he yeah. says, Dear Eric, thank you for your, or thanks for your letter. I'm glad you're going to be able to attend the annual meeting this year. I guarantee you a good time. So, so if it's a guarantee from Buffett, you know. And then yeah. he said, I played Texas Hold'em a couple of times, but so far have not been a winner. Good luck to you. Sincerely, Warren Buffett. I'm going to go put this away. Give me one more second. <laughs> Alrighty. But uh, I kind of doubt, though, that he's not at, he's not good at poker because, you know, being at poker, it's yeah, he's being too humble, of course. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. But how, how, how did it affect you? I mean, of course... It'll be, <laughs> it will be kind of like uh, uh, receiving a letter from your hero. So how did it uh, affect you along the way and how, how you invest uh, today? Um, well, that was sort of was my catalyst of, well, I'm definitely going to the meeting now. And so <laughs> I went from thinking about it to I'm 100% going. 
And um, so going to that meeting and being in that community and being there versus reading about it, I got very clear that first meeting that I wanted to, you know, at some point start an investment company and uh, manage money for people. So that was, that was my realization for that was my first Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Um, How did it affect me? I think just through osmosis, like being around that community, it's, it's had a, a big impact on just, just like every, everyday life. It's, you know, there's a few things that have had huge impacts on my life and that's, that's one of them is, is being in that part of that community. Yeah. I, I, I can just see also, I mean, I, I've just started reading the, um, I don't know if you can see it, but it's, uh, the essay. So Warren Buffett and it's oh, cool. uh, all, yeah, it's all about, uh, it's by, yeah, of course. I, I think you know this, but <laughs> I've read it. Uh, I've... Yeah, it's the sixth. I think yeah, it's the sixth edition. So it's okay. kind of another new stuff uh, being added to. But it's really been a great uh, read. <laughs> I learn a lot, and I'm also hoping that I could, you know, go to the the Berkshire annual meeting next year. If uh, you know, it's always this last legs of going before you know Munger and Buffett go part in this life yeah. <laughs> sorry to use but yeah it's uh so really a good community and also what what you recommended to me this uh fairfax yeah in website oh yeah yeah the yeah it's a, fairfax yeah yeah I, I posted recently and they're really welcoming actually it's uh, kind of blows me away how they help me in um setting how should i think and it's such a supportive community and um yeah i'm i i think i for will the, be for the, for the most part there's there's always your few oddballs <laughs> that yeah um are a little egotistical that you know can kind of be jerks but for the most part i mean i think that's like with any community but for the most part i find people very supportive that's uh really lovely um i just want to transition a bit about your of course i you're an investor so i i, I also want to kind of pick brains on what's your framework in investing i mean how do you value a, a business in in general <laughs> oh, i don't know how to answer that question um <laughs> it's kind of too general of a question i it depends on the situation um i could say yes. that the way that i there's there's frameworks that i will look through i mean generally it's either I'm buying an asset for less than I think it's worth, or I'm buying an asset for uh, a significant discount to what I think it's going to be worth in the future. Uh, yeah, so it's like, a general like, question. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't really know how to. If you want to ask me more specific questions, I'm happy to. Or if you want to like talk about specifics, okay, but so I, it's, we maybe I could ask like like a like a company that I've seen in your twitter that you've been replying and then we can just talk about your um, thought process on how do you value this company and because okay. i've seen you talk about the google i mean recently you because you've been I, of course if it shows in the news feed what you're replying to and you've been replying to this post that the p of google is more undervalued than it really shows and maybe you can show some color on how how do you arrive at such things so <laughs> yeah so i i so i guess full disclosure right this is not investment advice and and this yes, is good my own opinion um 
the so I think we should just take a step back for a second. So mm-hmm. the 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 reason that I think Google is is at a lower um, multiple to its economic um, earnings power than what shows up in a P ratio is is more to do so with a problem with um, uh, generally accepted accounting principles. So gap um, in the United yes. States. I don't know what um, you guys use out out where you are, but in yeah, the United all, States, we, yeah, is it? We almost okay. use the same. Um, yeah. Okay, so one of the problems with so this is like the context. Um, one of the problems with gap accounting is it's really really good to like um so like I have a I have a you know this is like a, an Instax camera from from Fujifilm. If you were to look at that business. You know, you would look at um, you know the, the cameras, and there might be some factories. Gap accounting would be a pretty, you know, if if um, if that company was was making X in net income, mm-hmm. that's probably a pretty you know accurate number. And obviously, there's there's obviously ways you can manipulate net income, but for the for the most part, um, gap accounting is is a pretty is going to reflect economic reality for for a camera company. Um, the problem with say a Google, um, or a lot, a lot of these tech companies really is, you know, if you look at the, the largest expense of, um, tech businesses, right. They tend to be, uh, like research and development and marketing and, and often they're, you know, not going to be. It's not going to be a camera factory, right, or or a tire factory, <laughs> or you know, yes. putting down railroad. So, you know, when Google, you know, puts a billion dollars plus into research and development, according to Gap, that's an expense. And so, so right, because it gets expensed on the income statement, right? Um, but the problem with that is. Google would be looking that as an investment, right? It's not just it's just not just it's not just a cost of doing business, right? There's obviously that. Um, but when Google's doing R and D, say into artificial intelligence or something, right? The idea that a hundred percent of that is going to be treated as an expense, right? If 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 it's, if you are a camera company, yeah, right. If you're if you're a camera company. And you build a new warehouse, right? To build more cameras, you know, you might. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how long you would depreciate that warehouse, but you wouldn't depreciate a hundred percent of it over a year. You know, yes. it might take twenty, thirty years to depreciate that yeah. warehouse. Google invests in AI, but a hundred percent of that gets depreciated next in in year one. It doesn't make any sense. No. It, so. No. So the argument that I would make is that a hundred percent of that should not be expensed according to economic reality, but Mm -hmm. because of the way gap works and it does not recognize AI research and development or this uh, intangible assets. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is most of Google's net worth is in intangibles and, 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 and things they've researched or Amazon is the same example. Um, Mm -hmm. You're gonna you're going to have at least today you're gonna have earnings that are lower than you could say their their 
their their their economic the economic reality mm-hmm. right so so what i do is when looking at google or looking at a lot of these tech companies there's there's a few that i'm invested in um some of them that don't even show a profit is i try to think about what what would if i'm treat if i'm treating you know google and i'm looking at it like i would a camera company or a tire business or any non-tech business right or campbell soup or colgate or you know hershey um what do those normalized margins look like and and i'm not going to be precise um yeah but the margins that come out the you know the operating margins that come out with are higher than what it's showing through gap so you know i i then make those sort of personal adjustments and everyone's going to have slightly you know different yeah. adjustments but i make those adjustments i think realistically you should um you know, and I don't really buy the argument that, you know, adjusted income is, is BS and blah, blah. I think for a lot of companies, you know, you can abuse that. Absolutely. Yeah. But for a company like Google, it's actually inappropriate not to make adjustments because you sh- the, the way Gap works, you shouldn't just take those operating margins for what they are on Gap. That, that doesn't make any sense. Um, mm-hmm. So I make those adjustments. And then based off the margins that I come up with, you know, I come up with the number uh, somewhat higher uh, than they than you know it than, shows, than yeah. the income statement actually shows. Yeah, so so the the true multiple it, to me to me is, is is a little bit lower than than uh, you know the current multiple of Google today. You know, so so anyway, the way that I look at Google is I take the multiple that I that I see. I have kind of a range, and I f- and I figure that Google's going to be around for the, you know at least another ten years. They're they're growing at double digits fantastic business huge emote uh and that's the analysis and and, and it's a, and i'm getting it at a pretty good earnings yield uh, yeah. especially if you look at where where interest rates are today so um that's that's how i look at google in a, in a very very bird's eye view nutshell yeah it kind of reminds me of how nick uh, nick sleep does his uh, analysis this this kind of destination analysis so what you're doing with Google is like, of course, you're projecting it that it's gonna be here for ten years. So, of course, and then at the same time, you need to understand what it's really its true earnings is. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this that, and you know, if this was a tiny microcap, I, I wouldn't be talking about it. But I mm-hmm. think the opportunity with some of these larger businesses is that the market has just not recognized um this distinction i'm not gonna say they haven't at all but mm-hmm. it, it i think there i think there's an opportunity i think it's similar to i've talked about this to my investors before um and i've been maybe talking about this for five years now but when I had first invested in Amazon, and then there was another company that I'm not going to name because it's a bit smaller and doesn't show profit, um, and invested in them, you know, the multiples were very, very, very high. And I had a few messages from investors being like, "Have you gone crazy? You know, like, you know, are you still <laughs> a value investor? Is it, you know, yeah." Um, and what I had to explain to them was was just what you're saying, and that you have to make these adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's opportunity, you know, if you look back to say the 19, um, 
Well, if you go all, if you go all the way back, I mean, if you if you go to the Benjamin Graham days, right? Ben yeah. Graham was buying stocks when it was cons- the net net days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the idea to buy stocks in the early 1900s. It was considered culturally sort of like you were, um, you. It was kind of dirty to, to be buying. Yeah. yeah, like you bought bonds. You know, the uh, you know gentlemen bought. There's a famous quote: "Gentlemen buy bonds" or something like that. It, you know, <laughs> so that that was a thing. You bought bonds, and that's what like proper gentlemen did. Um, but then, you know, if you were around um, during the time where you know Ben Graham takes the point of view. But when he's buying the net nets, that all that matters is the assets on the balance sheet. Every you know everything else doesn't doesn't matter. Well, you would have missed out on Procter and Gamble and Gillette, mm-hmm. and you know all of these companies with very powerful brands, right? You know if you were watching TV in the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, and you see a brand on TV, that's very very powerful marketing. You don't have Amazon to compare three hundred other you know smaller <laughs> brands, right? So it's it's a different world. Yes. And those brands had, you know, double digit ROEs for you no know, decades. decades. <laughs> but then the but then, you know, if you look at sort of my gen in our generation, I think we're probably around the same age. Um, you know, I remember being in high school and you go on the internet and I could find alternatives to 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 products and try different toothpaste, right? I'm not reliant just on Colgate. I can there's tons of different toothpaste I can look at on the internet. So the idea that said so anyway, you would have missed you would have missed out on all these these brands, but then I think where value investors have been kind of slow to wake up to is a lot of these brands their moats have been declining for for since the nineties. Um, you know, if you look at well, I mentioned Colgate, Colgate does not have the moat that it did thirty years ago. You can go on Amazon, type in toothpaste, and you have many options, and you're of the generation where Colgate doesn't have the same meaning as it did to our parents. So you know, I remember when I was a kid, you either bought Colgate or Crest. That's just what you bought for your kids. <laughs> but me, and I don't have yeah. kids, but if I had kids, I wouldn't necessarily buy them that. I might buy yeah. whatever had the best rating on Amazon. So we were a lot more... Um, looking at the marketplace more for the merit of the of the product itself than the, than the the name of the brand. There's exceptions to that. So mm-hmm. I think the modern day brands are the Googles of the world and the Amazons of the world. Like we Google something because we have an inherent trust that Google gives us better search results than Bing, yeah, <laughs> right, or Yahoo <laughs> if that even if yeah. that still is a search engine, right? Um, or Alta Vista. Um, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that exists anymore. Um, no, <laughs> right. But right. So we just Google things, right? We even have a verb. It's a verb now. Um, and you don't look at Amazon, right? If I want to buy something online, Amazon is a place that most of us go to on a monthly basis. So those are the brands. That's where the trust is now. And to dismiss Amazon because it trades at a P of, you know, whatever it's trading at today. You know, I I think the Amazon of the the true PE of Amazon when you make those adjustments is really damn low. It's not, you know, what it, whatever it is right now. But um, so I think you the principles haven't changed, but like the 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 times do change, and if you don't adjust with the times, 
I think you end up becoming the person who only wants to buy steel companies in the 1950s below book value and miss out <laughs> on the Procter Gamble's and Gillette's. I don't think it's any different. Yeah. It's um kind of leads me to this uh, another question that, that I'm curious to ask, you know, because you know, given the years that you've already been investing, like, like for how many years now? It's like since about you're 14. 17, 17, 2000. Oh, oh, I started reading about it. I, I started investing at 05, February of 05. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was just a little kid that time. But, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's given that you've already been investing for many years. Okay. We can yeah. go like hi- hindsight 2020. What you would have wished you've known before you started, you know, investing. <laughs> um don't don't uh be so quick to sell a good asset oh okay can you tell me more oh yeah how how that how did that work it's yeah there there have been times you know if i look at going back 17 years or so if i had just never sold anything right if i just bought and then didn't sell and just let Mm -hmm. my winners ride and, and become larger parts of the portfolio over time um, I don't want to say on my track record is it's good, but it would be it would be even better, um, uh, a lot better. You know, I I owned Apple for instance in 05, right? That that oh, that investment alone wow. would have made would have made, um, yeah. you know, and there was there was a micro cap that I invested in about two years ago that went up, uh, from a dollar to like sixty dollars, uh, and I sold yeah. it at like three dollars. <laughs> so you know the. Um, there's you know charlie munger talks about this you know even when if you buy a great asset even in times where it kind of looks expensive you know if the returns on invested capital are you know 20 percent a year you should expect to do 20 percent a year over time don't just mm-hmm. sell it because the p looks a little bit higher you know the price to cash flow looks a little bit high um mm-hmm. and you know i look at apple it was never egregiously high um so I think being being a little bit more um I think when I was younger I, I I was trading more than I liked where I would say, Oh, this the the P is high, so I'm gonna sell it to buy some a little bit lower P and I was so I was going in and out of value stocks per se. I still did well. I mean it, it's yeah. not like I'm gonna gains, com- gains complain about gains. It. The gains are gains, exactly. Um but the it would have I would have even done um significantly better. Um that that way, so that, that's something I, w- I would have taken into account. Is um is is that that that's that's one thing I would have I yeah. would have looked at. But uh, it just to follow up the question is, so if that's the case, now that you know you've don't known that kind of hindsight, so how do you yeah. think through that now? Like when do you sell? When do you sell uh, an an investment? It's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Um, <laughs> To me, that's the hardest part about investing. I, I don't think I'm the most qualified person to answer that. Um, <laughs> I don't ha- I, like. I I have a good track record, despite my sales often being really bad. Um, I I I the way that I look at it is the, here's the easy one. If the thesis is impaired, mm-hmm. I sell that. That that's that to me has yeah. served me very well. There's been very few times. Where I realize I'm super wrong about something, the thesis is totally different than I thought, mm-hmm. um, and I sell and then I regret it. I, I I barely ever regret it. There's there's many 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 more times where I regret where I sell it. I'm like, thank God I sold. Um, mm-hmm. 
there's so that's that's the that's the big one for me um other times i will sell is so with the event driven situations that's also a much easier thing to figure out you know if i'm buying a you know i bought a merger recently actually what was a buyout um and the Mm -hmm. spread this is a company that's getting bought out uh around 29 dollars yeah i think i saw that 29 dollars plus yeah yeah um and you know the I I actually was a shareholder for a few years. Did did really well. Um, sold it, and then with the recent market sell off, the stock went down all the way to like twenty six. Mm-hmm. Nothing was impaired about the the assets at all. Um, I even did some research that even if the deal was broke off, I mean, I thought the assets. I was actually kind of pissed when I found out the company was getting sold. The assets were getting sold for twenty nine dollars because I I estimated they were in the mid thirties. So Ooh. I even figured the deal if the deal broke, the assets were not impaired. And I, I I was pretty sure about that, but I didn't think the deal was going to break. I mean, the largest shareholders were voting for it. Um, it seemed there was a little risk of it getting delayed, but it, that seemed sort of like a frivolous lawsuit. So the the idea that like you could buy something in twenty six twenty seven and sell it at twenty nine in a few weeks was ridiculous. Um, for for a deal that there's nothing wrong with it, so you know it, it got to a few days ago. It got to like you know twenty eight forty five or something. And I, I I I sold everything there because the, you know the spread got really small. So that was an example where you kind of know the upper limit in that situation, and you got really close, and and, and it, that was worth me selling. Um, yeah, but uh, how about if the the thesis you know is still working like? The thesis is still not impaired, and then mm-hmm. the 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 location size in your portfolio of that uh, investment or stock is getting really big for you to be more comf- comfortable to hold. So what? Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with that. Gener- yeah, yeah. I gen- generally, so I, I have two ways I look at that. Right, um, if it's a wonderful business, right, um, and it's just gone up a lot. And the allocation's big. That's that's fine. I mean, I've had I've had positions that were you know thirty percent plus in the portfolio before. Um, that's that's. I mean, right right now, even if I if I look at you know the accounts that I manage in totality. Mm-hmm. Um, see, right now changed recently but i mean right right now my largest positions slightly under 14 percent you know so it's a generally large position yeah and, still and if it double if it and if it doubled this year and nothing else changed i wouldn't sell it uh, and you know if the value you know that thought the valuation was still relatively reasonable um but yeah I, I i have no problem holding you know large large positions um now that the exception to that would be you know, if I buy some crappy little net net company or you know, sort of a distressed asset, and it went up mm-hmm. like 10x or something, which I've I've had a few things that have gone up quite a bit, um, like that. Um, you know, if one of those got to like 20% of the portfolio or even 15% of the portfolio, and it was like a <laughs> bad business. You know, like yeah. I I would I would I would um I would trim that for sure. Um, but a but a good business at a large allocation, I mean. I I'd have no problem. I mean, look at look at the Berkshire portfolio with Apple. I mean, that got into a gigantic part of the portfolio. Um, <laughs> it's so big. 
yeah, I, I more I am more comfortable not diversifying. I, I I often have you know four or five positions in like the top fifty percent of the portfolio, so I'm comfortable with that. So that's how you kind of size your bets. Like, so it depends on your um, conviction, or do you do it like that, or your portfolio I, allocations? I I look at it more of. So there was one situation I was heavily invested in uh, up until uh, late last year called Laco. Um, yeah, and that was I've a pretty. Been... That was a. Per- You're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, you've talked it with the okay, investing with beginners. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've was really done pretty... your research. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, yeah, so like that was a position where now I had no idea the thing would go from you know two thousand dollars a unit to almost ten grand. I mean that that was I was not expecting it to happen that quickly. I, I was expecting it to happen at some point in the next ten years, but not you know three years from now um, or not no whatever. So. But that was a position that was pretty large, and depending on the account, um, I mean, some accounts it was a 10-20% position. Um, I would have had no problem with that being a 50% position. Like, like it would, it would not have, it would not have bothered me because the asset, I mean, they were so under levered. Like, you could have a freaking earthquake in California, and <laughs> be, yeah, and, and be it's like really so. Even, and even if the self storage units got destroyed. Um, the value is not in the the metal of the self storage units. I mean, the value is in that land and that dirt. Um, so it was it was really really difficult. That was one of the few situations where, even in like a horrible horrible scenario, it was it would have been really really hard to lose money. Now it could have been one of those situations that's like just like you know you collect like your four and a half percent dividend for ten years, um, and then year ten you know the thing would triple or something like that, um. But I just loved that setup because the the downside was so low. You were getting paid to wait. You know, at some point, it seemed like there was a catalyst um, with the people running it. You know, retiring, they were getting old. Um, <laughs> and and you know, you had a good good asset. If there was an inflationary environment, you know, that would do well in an inflationary environment. They could you know raise rents on on the storage units and um, real estate tends to. Uh, hold up pretty well in an inflationary environment. Um, so there was a lot of ways to win, really, really hard to lose. I, I'm much more comfortable making that a big position than say like, like I would be, more, I would be more nervous making like Facebook. You know, like I would not make Facebook a fifty percent position. Like there, there are situations where Facebook doesn't work out. I, I yeah. just for full disclosure, like I own Facebook, but like there's a chance that I don't do well on Facebook. Like, like I can see a situation where where it doesn't do well, but I can see many ways where Facebook or Meta now can 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 win. So I, I think it's still a relatively low risk bet, and then I either do really well or I lose a little bit. Yeah, valuations have come down so, so much. Yeah, it's yeah. There's it's, I, I yeah the correlations between how well I can sleep. Like if I, if it's really really hard to lose money, and I think there's upside, I, I'm happy to make it a gigantic position. I have another, and I have another one like that too, which I'm not going to name. It's a, it's a <laughs> super super micro cap, but I I have accounts that, you know, that I manage, um, where the allocation size is, is you know over twenty percent, um, in that one position, and it it'd be very very hard for me to lose money in that, and I think the upside is, 
you know significant. Yeah, I, I think I think we 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 talk about this on Twitter before when I DM you and ask you like, where do you get this kind of you know? Because I asked you about this Leiko idea idea, and you said yeah. it's in the o- OTC market. So, <laughs> so yeah, it how, is. How do you kind of sift through those you know pink sheets if it's in the US? It's kind of hard. Like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can kind of walk through me a bit on those process. Well, it, it is hard. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it is hard. If it was, if it took no time, everyone would do it. Um, yes. <laughs> now, Lake Lakeo, I I, I um, was fortunate where I was actually in Los Angeles in 2017 uh, for the Daily Journal meeting. That's uh, Charlie, the company that Charlie well, he just stepped down, but. Um, mm-hmm. was was running it. Uh, he, he's now just a board member. Um, but that's you know Charlie Munger does his own annual meeting, Daily Journal every year, and a colleague of mine, I think he had either just toured the so Laco stands for Los Angeles Athletic Club. It, it's not their main asset, but the asset they're known for and that they have mm-hmm. on the balance sheet is is the LA Athletic Club. Where if you're listening to this and you live in Los Angeles, you would know what that is. Um. So I had a colleague of mine who had toured there or was setting up a tour of the management. Um, and he mentioned that he was an investor in it. So I had, I decided to take a look. So that was an example where someone told me about the business. And then I, I looked and did my own, um, you know, due diligence. Um, so yeah, that's how I found that. But I, I found plenty of other ones just manually looking through, you know, OTC listings and, um, it takes a lot of time. I mean, the the one benefit you do have is like there's a lot of crap on OTC. So mm-hmm. a lot of businesses you can look at for five seconds and be like, I don't want to touch this thing, you know. And a lot of them are just like, you know, we're we're an exploratory phase of an oil, you know, an oil well and <laughs> junior miner or something. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> there there was one I remember that they were in the business to look for Bigfoot. Like, you know, I'm not, and it was like those a big value. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff. There's a lot of crazy stuff on OTC. God, it's like the frontier of investing. But maybe seriously, yeah. But how how do you do? You use like a screener for it, or you just go flip through manually and every stuff. Um, I've I've used screeners before. Um, can't remember the last time I've actually bought something that I found through a screener. To be honest, um, like Lakeo wouldn't have shown up on a screener, for example. Like it didn't screen well. Like you would have had to figure out what Dig the real deeper, estate was yeah, worth. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and Amazon does, I mean, you know, that's not OTC, but like Amazon doesn't show up on a screener, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you know, it'd be wonderful. There was a screener that used like artificial intelligence to adjust <laughs> in margins based off different companies and industries, you know, but as long as it doesn't exist, you know, there's opportunities there. Um, I'm not saying screeners don't work. I just think generally, especially in the last ten years, you know, if something yeah. sh- showed up on a screener that was cheap, there often was a good reason for it. And I think it's also about this uh, this edge that is lost already. Like maybe thirty years ago, um, people, some people, if you if you live in the new in New York and then you're near the New York Stock Exchange, you have this edge on information. Sure. against other people living on the other side of the world but because of the past 10 years of the internet and such it's like it leveled the 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 field has leveled in terms of information so if you're using a screener 
it's not you're not the first time who saw it <laughs> exactly <laughs> so, yeah. yeah i mean so. i've even noticed the difference i mean when i first started in like 05 i mean i remember 05 06 using screeners in high school and like i'd find stuff like i i found stuff off screeners back then um so i you know i remember investing in like um like decker's outdoor corporation uh they were training like a low multiple and high i think i think high growth rate um <laughs> but i i found i had found some stuff on screener so it's not like i don't use them um i do use ticker t-i-k-r.com oh yeah um, I they've, use they've, sp- they've actually yeah. they've sponsored my podcast before um but like shout out to them um but mm-hmm. you know i'm i they're great for like just finding information. Like I use their screener. Like I think, you know, if you're doing international stuff at a tiny yeah, it's level, good you know, for it global, might be useful. Yeah. Um, but it's just great for information. Like it's just easy to pull stuff up very quickly. Um, mm-hmm. But no, generally I'm just reading and looking at stuff and you think a few things get interesting. I mean, I, other than Leica, which is like what was like my main idea um, from 2017 <laughs> to up until last year, um it was like the first time i didn't have like some interesting thing to do and then when the market tanked these last couple of months i've started getting more active again but you know besides this period of time which i'm finding a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. um in recent time you know I, I found stuff in 2020 during um you know kind of like march april 2020 like those days when the market was down like nine percent a day or whatever i was buying those days every single day i was buying um and but i was i was finding stuff you know um but then but then before that you have to go to 2017 where i found like where i was really excited about it other than that i had not really been excited about much stuff um so you so i don't i don't don't, these days (laughs) you're kind of i'm really i'm i'm really excited these days i i've i've um yeah this is as much as excited i've been since since 2020 (laughs) so you're like the those types that you know like if the market crashes, you're more happier to do so than if it goes up. If I found more opportunities, which tends to be the case, I mean, you could always have a situation mm-hmm. where the market tanks and things are in such dire straits that maybe there aren't more opportunities. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, th- this time around, there's definitely stuff I'm, I'm finding for sure. Yeah, of course. Now, I'm, I'm, I will not ask if it's kind of... Kind of a stupid question to ask if ask I'm going to ask you to... No, it's like if I'm going to ask you, where now, so what? Where do you think the market will be going? So it's kind of, why would I, <laughs> why would yeah, I, I don't, ask I don't that? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, but I, 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 like it, it feels, I mean, it feels like, like we're closer to a bottom than anything, but like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't because you're gonna sound I mean, like I mean, for all, for all, for CNBC. All, for all, I I know. I mean, for all for all we know, right next quarter, uh, CP. You know the um the the inflation numbers hit ten percent and the market tanks again. So like I I have no idea. We don't know. know. Yeah, that's yeah. why we focus on the businesses itself. Not. But I think the, the more interesting question, right, is like what kind of assets will do well in an inflationary environment? You know, so like, mm-hmm. um, I yeah, you I don't mentioned really real estate take, before. Yeah, I mean, I think real estate. I mean, I'm not going to just, but but again, it depends on the real estate. Like again, not investment mm-hmm. advice because there's a mm-hmm. lot of stupid things you like. I would not be right now going in. I mean, if you go on to real estate listings, I mean, I, I saw something yesterday. I got a, you know, I, I talked to a lot of brokers. This broker sent me a listing of something. I think it was in Los Angeles, 
and the property was trading like a 3.9 cap. Like I would not be buying a 3.9 cap at the in today's environment. environment. If, yeah, yeah. Be a, <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. So, so you know, that's that's kind of an asset where you have no wiggle room. If 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 you have um, higher rates, I mean that that could go to a seven six cap or seven cap, and your your equity um, value is cut in half. So I. Mm-hmm. When I say real estate holds up well, don't go buy real estate at any price. I think a lot of real estate is still very expensive. Um, but the general assets that are going to do well in an inflationary environment are ones right that are very asset light, that have pricing power. Um, the ones that are not going to do so well is you know companies that rely on um, you know they have they're very capital intensive. They often need to borrow a lot of money and their short term debt and and those those companies and there's no pricing power so anything that's like commodity like a like a commodity type business and when i say commodity i don't mean like you know gold or silver but just i what i what i what i just mean is like you know if you sell a widget that there's no competitive advantage you have no pricing power um and your costs keep going up and it you may not be able to um to do well in that environment but um, like go, go back to Google. Like I think Google does very well in an inflationary <laughs> environment. You know, it's kind of the best business uh, around. So, <laughs> so I'm telling, but look, but seriously, like that's not hyperbole. Like we've never seen a business in the history of humanity that has that kind of competitive mode. I mean, if you just look at what they've created in 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 ten years or twenty years, it's 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 crazy or look i mean even look at facebook i mean look at their network of how many billions of people are on the facebook now and they built Mm -hmm. that network not only did they build that network it cost almost no money to build yes i mean look at look at the history of other networks look look at um look look, we're we're on zoom or we're on a riverside or we're we're we're, we're talking through the internet all that all that internet cable and I mean that was that took a lot of money to build, yes. you know. And 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 what's interesting is the shareholders were not rewarded for that, right? We the consumers rewarded for that because you know lots of people build you know cables and and fiber optic networks and it it's very it becomes very costly and it's commoditized. But mm-hmm. you look at a company like you know, like a Facebook or a Google. They have other right. It's like who's building that? Well, there's all the fiber optic cables and networks the internet's already exists right they didn't have to build the internet to create that um and when we're and when we're creating content on on facebook if you have a facebook or instagram right we're we're building the content for them we're doing the marketing for them right if you have a store right if you have a store on instagram right it's not like facebook has the inventory so it, it's they're like it's really it's right it's really it's really um a unique and uh, a kind of business, and we've we've never seen like 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 anything. Uh, how wonderful these businesses are in the history of humanity! It's pretty amazing if you think about it. Yes, uh, the, but but uh, Eric, I, I will kind of you know because we're getting out of time. <laughs> I mean, we can I can I can talk to you for hours. It's you just I'm sure share so much. <laughs> but uh, if this is like uh, if a beginner, you know, your a friend comes to you and. It's like he said, ah, bro, I'm kind of interested in investing. Yeah. What kind of resource or, you know, f- first advice would you give to him? 
Yeah, I would say I would give them a few books to read and say, don't talk to me until you read these books and come back to me. And probably 95% <laughs> of people wouldn't come back to me. Um, there's a lot of things. That, yeah, it goes back to a bigger principle. There's a lot of things in life that they sound very sexy before mm-hmm. like you do it. You know, I, I also have a coaching background. And that's people in the investment world don't know that about me, but I do ontological coaching. This is not some stupid life coaching thing, and this is not consulting. This is pretty deep work that I do, and it generally takes eight to ten years of training to be able to to do that with people. Um, I get people all the time saying, "Well, I'd love to lead programs and and coach and teach." I go, "Great, do these do these things, and and come back to me before I will even talk to you about that." And close to 100% of people will not actually do the work it takes um, to even start that kind of intensive training. So it's the same thing with investing. I'd say investing is actually a little bit easier to get into. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, you still need to like learn how to like read a balance sheet, right? You know, like you still have to be willing to learn about how businesses operate and work. So if you, if I think, I think investing is the idea of investing is very sexy to a lot of people the the actual process of doing it is a lot less glamorous and if and my view is if you don't love it you'll burn out within a few months so if i tell people to read these books and they find it boring and 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 like this is this is this is boring and whatever like they're just not cut out for that that's that's fine but what i what i don't want to do just to be nice to someone is you know talk to someone for five hours about stuff and then it doesn't go anywhere. And with most people who are in who want to get into investing, most of the time it will not go anywhere. So I, I let them kind of I'll I'll give them the resources, I'll point them in the right direction, and then and, and I'll always say, look, read these books, check these things out, see kind of what lights you up, what interests you, pepper me with questions, and then I could see how I could help get you more resources to kind of go to the next space. Because some people, right, are are interested in different things. And investing, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but you can't even know that until you start learning the basics. So I would tell people, like I think um, the book that I read that was really impactful to me about Warren Buffett was called Warren Buffett Wealth by Robert Miles, um, mm-hmm. and I thought that like laid out Buffett's philosophy very good. Um, like the essays of Warren Buffett would not be the first book I give to someone who knows nothing about investing. Even though I, I love the essays of Warren Buffett, I would give them really basic stuff. So like like um, Warren Buffett Wealth. Um, I would I would not give them the intelligent investor to read. No, 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 you know, no, don't read. I, or, I've read if you, if you read wanted someone first. not to get into investing, get, give them security analysis. They'll never oh, get it Jesus, again. That's um, really a sick book. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I just think that anything that's like really well written, really, really basic. I mean, even like a Motley Fool book, I think is fine. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm all about like compliance, right? Psychological compliance. So like it doesn't have to be the best investment book, but if it's something that's easy to read and like it's entertaining, like I think Peter Lynch's stuff is very entertaining um, and useful. Like I think you can learn a lot from Peter Lynch. Yeah, um, his, even though his humorous, yeah, his humorous. Yeah, I mean, the way. yeah, like, I mean, you know, he he did it by buying like a thousand stocks, like, and the, yeah. to me, that's not my style. But he's a brilliant guy and he's a great writer. So, you know, I, I like I think Monish Pabrai, his um Dondo Investor books, also really like a really easy to read. It's really, mm-hmm. really well written. Um, I think Guy Spears' book, um, Guy, if you're listening, hello. Uh, I think Guy Spears' book, Educational Value Investor, um, just to kind of get a sense of like our community is like a cool book to learn about the community. 
Um, so I, I think books like that are, are are like better to start off with than something more technical. I mean, even even Joel Greenblatt's like you know you can be a stock market genius. It's like a very like comical, whimsical like cover, and it sounds really. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty technical book. Like like my dad who was uh got his MBA at Columbia. I mean, they read that in his Columbia Business School business class. So, I mean, it's Whoa, it's it's wow. not it's not a, it's not the first book I would give someone who who's learning how to invest. But I would give them say Joel Greenblatt's book on like the magic formula. That, that's a really easy read. You can read the book in like in an hour. Um, and it gives someone a, you know, it gives someone an access to be like, okay, I could do this. I could, I could do a screen of high return on capital, invested capital businesses trading at, you know, a low um, enterprise value to EBIT ratio and, and get it ranked and have a computer do it for uh, me. Actually, and it, it's and, website is still, uh, it's still up actually until yeah, now. Magic I, formula, I, yeah. Magic for me. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried it. I, I look at it. I, I look at it. Yeah. yeah. I've made like a portfolio, you know, I tested for a year. Yeah. But well, yeah, he says you have that... to do it like minimum three years, I think. Yeah. So it it underperforms like... quite a bit. Uh, did you know, do you know how it's done recently? Like last like five, 10 years? Do you, do you happen to know? Uh, what what again? The magic formula. Do you, do you know if the performance has been good like the last five, 10 years? No. What he only mentioned, like also in like recent podcasts that he mentioned it, it's only like, before 2010 but afterwards it's he doesn't mention anything so who knows yeah it's, it's interesting yeah i don't know okay anyway just curious thank you i mean i'm yeah, really before before i go to the last question <laughs> i'm i'm uh really grateful for having you here in the episode so i i mean i'm kind of uh, overwhelmed to have someone and caliber like you of course i'm not putting you in a pedestal of course but you know it's i'm i'm a new podcast and I'm, I'm just you know at the same time i'm just you know finding my way through investing also and it's really i really learned a lot so much was by just well. talking to you it's <laughs> so much um and also for my listeners i hope and so before i go to the last question um maybe you can tell that my listeners where to reach out to you and uh, where to see more of your work and such um sure um so i'll i'll send you links so if you're listening and you, you want to go to the website to look at the show notes mm-hmm. it might be easier but um i have a personal website which is just ericschlein.com um my last name is a little tricky to spell so that's you know yes. s-c-h-l-e-i-e-n but you can look in the show notes um my my website for my co- investment company is um gscm.co which stands for granite state capital management um i have my podcast my investment mm-hmm. podcast called the intelligent investing podcast um and then i'm i'm very active on twitter um which is just my handle is just my name eric schlein my instagram yeah. my instagram really isn't financial related though but it's but I, look, if anyone's listening and they want to reach out to me, any questions they have that are investment related, like I, I, I really do respond to all messages. Um, even if it takes me a little while to get back to you, I, I will respond yeah. to your yes, your guys. DM yes, I, your, I'm, your tweet, I'm, uh, so. I'm the proof that he replies. So he replied to me on this, uh, on this uh, invite. So yeah, you can just send Eric some questions and he will reply. <laughs> yeah, happy to. I like, to, yeah, I like for, to teach. Yeah, for this now, for this, this is a question that. I want to start, you know, asking guests at every end of the episode, and it's kind I'm, of a rip off from. It's kind of a rip off from uh, uh, with Pat Patrick O'Shaughnessy uh, podcast okay. also, and and the other ones. But the, it's it's not really 
it's not really like uh, uh, something really special, but it's kind of like to set a bit of a tone from seriousness of investing. <laughs> but I'm just gonna ask, like, what is what is happiness for you? I mean, it's a really broad question, but just want to know. What is ha- happiness for me? Um, it's living an aligned life. So where uh, there's there's a um, how how would I put it? There's a there's a term in um, you familiar with like being in a flow state is. Yeah, kind of, you know, being in a zone, something, maybe. Kind of like that. Yeah. So, yeah. You can take it a little bit deeper. There's a um there's a Chinese term um called wu wei um mm-hmm. which is a I mean tr- translate to doing nothing essentially, but um it's more the, the way that I would describe wu wei is it's more than a it's more than just a flow state. It's it's you know, some people, get, you know, it's kind of feel like you're walking around in nature and you kind of like lose your awareness and things just kind of work. Um, or if you're like playing with like a little baby or something like that and just time flies. If you're if you're doing something in life where it's almost like you lose the awareness of your body and it's just like you're literally flowing through life and you're engaged in a pursuit where it's aligned with what your life's about and it's aligned with your values. Everything is just aligned. And the more you can kind of be in that space naturally, you can't be unhappy in that space. Um, so it, there's a lot that, you know, and so I think being around a great community, having, you know, supportive people in your life, um, living a mission-driven life where your life is about something much larger than than you. Um, so a lot of that's happiness and it, to me it's less so of i like ice cream or i you know like to be on the beach and drink margaritas like there's nothing wrong with that but i, I actually mm-hmm. find that a lot of people who like glorify these vacations and i need to go to aruba every six months a lot of them are miserable and they're doing that to kind of escape their misery they're so they're and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to aruba like it's you know i've never been but it seems like a beautiful place but it, it's living an aligned life um now knowing that you know the caveat you asked for a very simple question I'm, I'm 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 making this a little bit more complicated but me saying that is going to make no difference to your listeners so you know cuz if you don't know what your life's about me just telling you to live live a life congruent to your 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 mission and your your values literally makes no difference it's about as useless as telling someone who has really like low self esteem just just love yourself just be confident that advice is stupid cuz it's Sure, it's true. It's a it's a true principle, but knowing that makes no difference. You know, this is the problem with Charlie Munger's mental with mental models. Most people who talk about mental models on Twitter don't have any effing clue what Charlie Munger means by a mental model. When people, if if you're reading books to learn about mental models, you've you've already missed the point. Um, that that would be like that would be like reading. You know what it would be like saying I have a so I don't I don't speak Japanese. If I said I'm gonna go to re- I'm gonna go read a book to have a mental model on Japanese, that would not make any sense. Like I'd have to probably go to Japan, spend six months there. You know, get f- like learning Japanese and acquiring a language is very different than like reading a thing and knowing what Japanese is. Right? I know what Japanese is. I don't yeah, know how to speak yeah. Japanese. So like people who like read books on happiness or 
you know, people who like read books on like dating and, and, and love or, or whatever, you know, you, you, having all the tools and the tactics is not going to give you any access to that. Right. So it's like, well, if you want to be happy, you know, just be peaceful. So if you just sit on your couch and be peaceful, well, now you're going to be miserable while sitting on your couch. It, it, so there's, there's, I think the big thing that's missing is, you know, people will always operate in life based off the way reality occurs for them. You know, if you actually look at every single thing you've ever done in your entire life, whether it's this podcast or at a job or with your girlfriend or with your parents or whatever, it's always been correlated to the way that you experience reality. Yes. And you have no you have no access, you literally have no access to taking an action outside the way you experience reality. You know, if I said I want you to bite off your thumb right now, you couldn't do it. You actually couldn't do it. Your brain could not generate the action to do it. And if you look at, you know, neuroscience has shown, right, yeah. the brain will always generate an action before you're even conscious that you're going to take the action. So Right. So, so, so the idea that if you just read more books and get more advice and that'll impact the quality of your life, it's BS. It's, it's, it's totally a myth. If you want to, you know, if someone's not very confident in who they are and they want to get more confident, they'd actually need to have access to having the way they occur for themselves get impacted so that they're naturally confident versus trying to do lots of tactics and say the right things. And if I do a power pose, my body language, then I'll be more confident. It doesn't work like that. Um, so, you know, the, 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 this thing called happiness is an experiential phenomenon. It's, it's, it's not epistemological. So what, but, but the, the problem with, especially in the investing community where people are so effing analytical which is good to analyze a balance sheet. It's not really good to talk about happiness. Right? They're two distinct domains. If I mm-hmm. want to learn to read a balance sheet, it's what's called it's, it's in the epistemological domain, right? It's it's in the domain of knowing. Yeah. Happiness is in the ontological domain. It's in the domain of being. You can't learn about if you. I can literally read about happiness for twenty years. If I'm not happy, I can know everything there is to know about happiness. I can know how dopamine works. And all. It would make no difference. So if you so if you want to be happy and have it be an authentic experience, not something I have to practice and try, and if I read enough books, then I'll be happy, take an interest in getting, um, not even mastery, but just take an interest in getting sort of acquainted with the ontological domain in the realm of being. And there's a lot of resources out there for that. But if you want to get happy, it's not going to come from a book, and it's not going to come from what I just told you uh, yeah. about Wu Wei. Yeah, but I think it just it's it's a lifelong process, you know. It's um, doing and then doing stuff. So maybe, yeah. well, no, not necessarily. <laughs> Look, if I have if I'm not happy, see, this is this is the this is this is the illusion. If I'm not happy and I'm pursuing happiness, I'm actually creating a context for my life that I'm not happy. So then I'll just die almost being happy. That's not happy either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like people who have had, um, you know, something, you know, maybe, you know, your girlfriend dumps you and, and then it's like, oh, I can't trust women again or you know, whatever the hell, right? Like, you know, people have stuff in the past all the time. And then they spend a lifetime trying to work on their trust issues. Well, if you work on your trust issues, what you're just going to be left with is a different version of your trust issues. It doesn't, whatever you're trying to compensate for, you know, it's kind of like, this, if this is what I'm trying to compensate for and I'm trying to fix it, 
Whatever mm-hmm. I'm trying to fix or resist or change in some way, I'm actually stuck to. So if you're trying, if you're not, if you don't have the experience of happiness, and now you're trying to fix that by trying to get happy and do things that make you happy, it's actually just gonna leave you with the experience of being unhappy and that maybe you're almost happy, you know. If I just work at it a little bit harder, then I'll be happy. That's not the access to it. So again, the ontological domain gives gives you a shot at happiness. Learning about it or trying to be there if you're not there is actually just going to create more unhappiness. And you could tell yourself with positive thinking that you're happy, but if you were honest, you wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah. So that's my that's my uh, two so, cents on it. So we kind of drift and off just like up. investing, most people won't won't look at the resources, but. You know, maybe one or two listeners will go, oh, this ontological domain, that's interesting. And it'll really make it, you know, a actual impact in their life. Yeah, I, I should should uh, check on that. I also check you, on that. I think and, everyone should, but most people yeah. won't. Yeah. Okay, so we've been, <laughs> that kind of uh, put us in a bit of a rabbit hole, but I really like yeah. how you, yeah, how you put uh, happiness in such a way. It's that kind of new to me. I mean, yeah, you can can't read that on books so <laughs> so i kind of agree with you so yeah thank you eric for this yeah of um, course my pleasure I, I, i'm uh, hoping in the future i could have you again but uh, we will see we'll see <laughs> just let me know thank you thank you so much appreciate it <laughs>